Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and w- 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 welcome to Science Faction uh, 684. Science Faction Ancient American DNA and the knockout we desperately need. Uh, we, um,. We were talking right before, and our fans who listen to both Awful, Neutral, and Science Faction I don't believe they'd be note. real fans if they did that, but all right, keep going. <laughs> How, why do you draw these secretariat lines? We, the week I want, I, I envision a one-state solution, but you were saying that there just needs to be a two-state solution. Oh, there can't be, ever be a one-state solution. Listen, I, I don't use this type of terminology a lot, but when it comes to awful neutral, uh, as far as science faction is concerned, from the river to the sea, like, we need to wipe you out. <laughs> Well, uh, we get a lot of Netanyahu money here. Uh, Bobby does, at least. I don't see a fucking penny of it. But Bobby gets a lot of Netanyahu money. Um, but anyhow, for the, our fans who I listen to both might recognize that uh, we have the same hello, hello, and welcome to Awful Neutral. Despite the fact that Bobby stole that from the Williams he estate circa Mrs. Doubtfire. from me. He stole it from me. Want, it's been established in court. I want our fans to know that I have told Bobby, this is like the third time I've told him that this is, that's how I introduce uh, Awful Neutral. And every time it hits him like the first time, like, like, like it hits him like a ton of bricks. Like he's insulted. He wants to fight. This is my memento. I like, I keep tattooing it on my arm to kill you every time I hear about it. Yeah. Your wife sends me like season to stop. Just stop telling him. (laughs) What if I pay you to never bring it up? So I get like a sizable check. Not this month. But next sure. month, I will get a sizable check. Sure. Oh, and if you want a sizable check, go ahead and check out our Patreon. You can search Robert Timothy on Patreon, where you get four extra science articles every single week. Damien, we brought back the lightning round last week. Uh, did, you, did you enjoy that? Sorry, I, I misspoke. I misspoke. We brought back I Call BS last week. You lost again, in case you forgot. Uh, we brought oh, back I Call oh, BS. No, no, I, I was, I was not a fan of uh, being in in your hostel. Mm-hmm. I did. I was not a fan of being attached to all the saw machines that you tie me to. No, uh, uh, two stars because I did. I, I feel like it was still a, it was still a stage, and because like I'm, uh, I'm a sick, attention hungry, starving comedian, and I'll just take that attention dirty any way I can get yeah. it. I at least get a, it's still, you know, yeah. Do I have uh, razor blades attached to the ends of my fingers and dick? Yeah. But at least I get to tell some jokes. Yep. You got some daddy issues and you need that attention. And speaking of the daddy issues of your show, I, of course, I'm your host, comedian archaeologist, Robert Timothy. With me, as always, my comedian, Mr. Damien Mercado. Damien, how you doing? And on this beautiful night of, at least it was a beautiful night before you informed me for the very first time that you steal my intellectual property for your immoral podcast. <laughs> For the first time, oh God, thank you, Bobby. Just now, now I know that whenever I'm down, whenever like you've pissed me off, I just have one in the bank. Next That's time right. I see you, I'm gonna shit on Bobby's day. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Awful Neutral. I am your dungeon master, Damian Mercado, <laughs> and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Robert Timothy. Who oh will you be God. playing today? It hurts so bad to know that you do that. Just knowing uh, that that exists out there, oh. Oh my God! You're using my powers off for evil. Autistic guy. That's an interesting character <laughs> choice. But we're going to see how it plays out. It's been working for near forty years for me. All right, let's move right on to science articles. From molecules to particles, 
This is Science Articles. Our nerds start their adventure. (laughs) Oh dear, article number one, Ancient American DNA. Yes, uh, I saw the title of this, and this immediately speaks to me because, uh, unlike the two of us, this you're 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 talking about my DNA. Mm. Like if we were talking about like uh, Irish bog people, sure, and their DNA, yeah. then we could say, "Oh, hey, well, Bobby, hey, this might or this might have, this has some relevance to your life." Sure, sure, sure. Uh, lots of relevance to your life, as of course. Yes, as a mestizo, as as it has been well established on this show. Mm-hmm. Yes, as I roll my R's it, inconspicuously. Roll my eyes. <laughs> yes, you're three percent native. All right. Uh, so, so this is a really interesting twenty percent. You fuck you. It's legitimate percent. Twenty percent is legitimate. Is it? <laughs> so this is uh, so this is an interesting paper out this week out of Nature. As you guys know, I love ancient American DNA studies. I go crazy for them. I think they're really really interesting because they tell us the story of kind of like the last wild frontier of humankind's exploration, which would be the occupation of the Americas, and they do so in a way that is like super definitive and that I could have only wished to have when I was growing up, when I was going to undergrad. I wish we had stuff like this. We just didn't. The best we had was things like linguistics or tool technology. And we could be like, look, we think these people moved here and here because of the languages that move from one place to another, the similarities of these languages, or because these tool types moved around. But it wasn't until we had DNA that we could actually say, oh, look, this happened. And we see these huge migrations, these huge movements of people that were completely obscured in any kind of record because there wasn't a historical record for this. And so like just now we are cracking these many thousands of year old mystery of the history of this moving continent because if you think about it a lot of times we're presented native american history as if well the native americans got here however long ago we just call it history bobby (laughs) do you (laughs) we do like the native americans allow me to talk to you about it at length one day the Native Americans got here however long ago, you know, you know, 20, 30,000 years ago, they got here and then they just kind of hung out and then white people came and did some horrible stuff. Now, the last part is true and the first part is true. But if you think about it, think of like the history of Europe, like the people who were in Europe, you know, circa the Roman era are very different from the people who were in Europe in the late medieval period who are very different than the people who were in Europe 4,000 years ago. Like that, there's huge movements of people, entire groups get wiped out and recolonized and stuff. And guess what? The same fucking thing happened here we just didn't have as much of the historical record and so these dna studies every time we do a new one you didn't i mean neither did did you (laughs) they were told on the wind (laughs) were were they They were told they were told in the mountains they were told in the words of our elders Uh uh-huh uh-huh i don't expect a widow to understand (laughs) (laughs) and you laugh and you laugh well my uh, this this you're this is a colonizer I podcast. Just, <laughs> I think the the closest thing to like the the secrets of your ancestors was one time when your grandfather yelled at you with a Spanish word mixed in. Like that was the closest you came to like the ancient secrets of the ancestors. He did have a native word for me. It was pinche, <laughs> and he would uh, he would call me that all the time. It is a term of endearment. Um, <laughs> uh, dude. 
pinche homosexual. Now we obvi- I think that was we we know obviously the basics that there was you know a group that came from uh, East Asia thirty five thousand or so years ago. They mated with the ancient northern Eurasians, created a whole new group that became genetically isolated in the submerged continent that is Beringia, which sometimes is erroneously called the land bridge. They became isolated there to some extent from other Asian populations for some odd thousand years before a small group of a few hundred of those Beringians made it down into the New World and became all of the natives we know in North and South America. And they're, you know, that's kind of the broad story, but there was a lot of mixing and stuff going on in between. One of my favorite stories we've ever, we've ever covered, one of my favorite papers we've ever covered was a massive 2018 Native American genetics study that covered, you know, from South America up to North America that showed all of these movements of people. It showed that uh, the natives from the Channel Islands 5,000 years ago made their way down to Peru and became, you know, kind of the coastal Peruvians that we now think of now, including Incans and stuff like that. It showed that there were groups in Mexico that spread out down into South America, that the South American original population from, you know, 10,000 plus years ago was almost completely replaced 9,000 or so years ago by different populations coming in. It showed a bunch of very, very interesting stuff. And we have a new one of those papers that also shows some pretty neat stuff. So this week's paper out of nature shows that there was an influx of people from the area that is now Mexico around 5,200 to 5,000 or so years ago into the southwestern United States. Now, that in itself was not super surprising because it actually fits with one of those other pieces of evidence that I listed before, the linguistic evidence, specifically the migration of Udo-Aztecan languages, which we know came from Mexico and spread their way into the American Southwest. Those ones you know, had Aztec down there, hence the Udo-Aztecan name, but also Toltec languages, Hopi languages, Shoshone languages, U- some Ute languages, hence Udo-Aztecan up from the Utah area. I mean, where we are, Damien, the place we currently are in San Diego, in southern San Diego, is dominated by Kumeyaay, which is a Yuman language family, so it's not one of those. But if you go just to northern San Diego, north of the the San Luis River, you have the Luceno people, who's a totally different group that is a Udo-Aztecan language family. So these languages even kind of curl over into our, you know, San Diego region, and they dominate a huge part of the southwest. And we knew those came from Mexico, but the story that had always been told was that these came from Mexico with corn farming. Like, you know, corn farming gets developed in Mexico, then these people come with corn and their languages and they move their way up and because corn... We call it maize. <laughs> because corn gives them such an advantage, they were able to, uh, you know, kind of out-compete and outperform and mix in and, and be very successful. Well, what was surprising about this genetic study is it indicates, based on doing genetic analysis of remains of up to 200 individuals from, you know, varying time frames in this place, that the people who brought those languages, those Udo-Aztecans that came up from Mexico into the southwestern United States did it about a thousand years prior to the introduction of corn. And that was a really big surprise. It's something nobody would have thought. Everybody had this really kind of deterministic model of, you know, corn gives them an advantage. They get up here, they then they, you know, use corn and they move up into these areas. What we're now finding is they moved up into the areas a millennium before corn was even basically widely domesticated. And what we think happened is we don't know what drove that migration of people from from Mexico up into the southwestern, what is now the southwestern United States, and into these areas and colonizing these places. 
But they did that first, and then a thousand years later, related groups to those people followed them with corn technology and allowed them to be successful farmers in those areas. But this is really interesting because it brings up a lot of questions. One, it takes out a lot of that those weird deterministic models of uh, human occupation archaeology that say you have to have this weird selective advantage, and that's what causes people to move and spread. But two, it brings up the question, well, what did do it then? Like, what was the reason that these people moved up and were so successful prior to the introduction of corn. I'll say it once. I'll say it like this is a little secret, Bobby. I'm going to give you a secret. Uh, the sea lions in California just taste sweeter. Okay. And and that is just something that the native peoples have known for a while. This is a primo sea lion hunting spot. Yeah, are there sea lions up and down the coast? Sure. Absolutely. But they don't t- something about like this is the Kobe beef. Yeah, I mean, of sea and it's lion. fine. The the sea lions down there are fine if you like spicy sea lions. But some of us don't have a taste for the spice, and so we prefer blander sea lions <laughs> that you could only get up here. <laughs> the sea lions down there uh, somehow, even though it, it predates the sombrero by many many centuries, <laughs> all wear sombreros. Yeah, down in Baja. Offensively so. Offensively so. I, I just love stories like this because this is the, I'm really interested in the occupation of the Americas and all the stuff that went on here for thousands of years. And this is kind of the equivalent of, you know, if you were to suddenly look in European timelines and be like, hey, wait a second, I don't understand what's going on. We have all these people, all this culture going on. And then all of a sudden there's like horses and bows that suddenly show up. And you're like, yeah, let me tell you about a guy called Genghis Khan and how he changed the Eurasian landscape. And if you didn't have the historical record, you might not know what was going on until all of a sudden you read this. And you might read it and be like, well, wait a second, there were horses and bows before him. Why did this change? And you're like, well, it turns out we didn't realize this until later, but it was really the invention of the stirrup that helped them do all this and blah, 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 blah. But we we cracked those mysteries a long time ago because they weren't even mysteries to begin with. We had historical accounts of Genghis Khan. We knew that the whole time. It's like we get to peer back into the unwritten history of the new world and see this stuff through genetics. I just think it's fucking super cool. That is kind of a shame, you know, when you think of like all the dramas that were lost. I mean, because yeah. when you think of history, history is just a collection of the most dramatic moments that happened. Yeah. They were so dramatic that like historians had to write about it. Like you think that like there wasn't drama right. in the New World, in the in the North and South America. The only one brave enough to tell us about it was Mel Gibson with Apocalypto. <laughs> <laughs> and he has some other questionable <laughs> views. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, dear. Very, very cool. On to article number two. The knockout device we desperately need. (laughs) Listen, if this is going to lead to the knockout device game, if we're automating the knockout game, seniors are going to be terrified. They'll never leave the home. Fox News, this will save Fox News (laughs) ratings. Well, this will actually help put some seniors at ease because they're the ones more likely to need it. So this is a really interesting new paper out of PNAS, Damien, your favorite journal. If a teen shows up trying to play the knockout game, every teen has, every senior has to come with a knockout machine. <laughs> uh, now the, the knockout, the knockout machine game is actually the sequel to the Hugh Jackman movie, Real Steel. <laughs> like, somebody's like, hey, I want to make Raw Come Suck of yeah. Robots the movie, but I can't get the rights. <laughs> So, <laughs> so again, this is another. This is a paper out of Damien's favorite journal, PNAS, and it's on a newly created device that could eliminate deaths, brain damage, and one of the worst things that can happen to a person. And all of this has to do with surgical anesthesia. 
I'm not gonna listen real quick. Mm. Uh, Penis is my favorite, and, and it's clear why. But it, here's another reason mm. why it's my favorite. Yeah, it makes me chuckle. Sure. But I can also remember it as a layman. I don't need to. I don't like like it has a name that speaks to everybody. That every that it's unforgettable. I'm just saying, uh, like ass play. <laughs> Ass to mouth with something like American medical. Like I just, just, there has to be an acronym. I put your minds to that. That's how you get the public into science. Oh, I read ass to mouth. And then, yeah, you're going to get some disappointed people, but a couple will stay. Uh, I, it's actually one of my, it is legitimately one of my favorite journals. And it's just because it's open source and they make everything available for free. So, you know, I don't have to go through back channels to get like nature articles there. So I, I actually very much enjoy penis. Yeah, people running it are geniuses. <laughs> Public in the National Academy of Sciences? Yes, they they literally are. (laughs) So this has to do with surgical anesthesia. And and so we're going to get a little bit into this, into how anesthesia works. Now, side note, like Cliff Notes version, we have no fucking idea how anesthesia works. It's one of those things that we literally don't know how it works. Like aspirin is this way too. We don't actually know how aspirin works. We just know it does. And this is similar with a lot of the components of anesthesia. Now, anesthesia in general is kind of a broad term and we do know how specific things work and it's probably got some stuff to do with GABA receptors and blah, 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 blah. But we don't actually know all the mechanisms of action of it, which is crazy considering how often regularly we use it and rely on it. But in general, anesthesia has three parts. Uh, when we put somebody to sleep for a surgery. The anesthesia, which makes you go to sleep, the analgesic, which takes away the pain, and some kind of muscular paralytic or neuromuscular blocking agent, which keeps you from being able to move. Because even think about when you're asleep, you move around and stuff like that. And so even if you were sleeping and you didn't have any pain, your body would still naturally move. And if the surgeon has a scalpel right next to your heart, that's going to be a fucking problem, right? So you need to have these three different components. But those three different components are trying to do five different things. If you want to be successful in your anesthesia for surgery, you have to to, uh, do five things. One is you have some kind of element that causes hypnosis or unconsciousness, some kind of loss of awareness. You have that analgesic, which causes a loss of pain. You you have an amnesia element, which causes a loss of memory because you also don't want to be able to remember the event. You have some kind of, uh, should you, you know, wake up and and whatever. You have immobility, which loses your motor reflexes. So if, so the things that you're not even thinking about, your, your body won't naturally move. And then you have a skeletal muscular relaxation to keep your normal body from, from moving around and your muscles from moving around with the exception of certain muscles we really want to move, like the diaphragm and the heart and things like that. You don't want them all to go down. So this is why you have to be very, very careful. Now, what are the downsides of surgical anesthesia? As, we, as we've talked about a ton on this show, death is one of them. Every time you go in for surgery, anytime they put you under, there is a risk of death. The least health, less healthy you are, the older you are, the higher that risk is. But that risk is there for everybody. And there are healthy 22-year-olds who go in to get a fucking tooth removed or something like that who die on the goddamn operating table. And it's a real thing. It is an actual real mortality. It is a cause of death. Every time you get put under, you are... You are fucking being chased by the reaper and you better hope you got a quick foot on it because there is a a chance you're gonna die and people die every single day from that so isn't there like cognitive things too yes so depending on how much anesthesia is used like especially if it's too much we see it like highly pronounced in older people with dementia or, or on the verge of dementia when they wake up they are 
fucked in the head, sometimes for long, long periods of time. It can increase their dementia symptoms, sometimes irreversibly so, if the if the sedation is particularly difficult. For young children, there are conflicting reports, we've covered them before, about IQ issues, but less conflicting reports, pretty solid ones, about later on behavioral issues and things like ADD and a bunch of other stuff. So it's clearly affecting the brain in those cases. I will say, just as a personal note, when I went under for a decent long, long surgery, like a seven hour surgery, when I woke up, I literally couldn't do math for like two days. Like it was, it was, it significantly affected me for a very long time. I I actually uh, had surgery recently. Oh, yes. And I took what you said and I was like, listen, I don't want to have to come. I still have to be funny when I come back to podcasting. <laughs> I still have to be quick. I'm not just doing one podcast uh, uh, as the co-host. I'm also part of a much more wildly successful uh, Dungeons and Dragons I'm podcast. off that first podcast. <laughs> that I'm helming. And so I didn't want, uh, so I had my testicle surgery, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to be sedative. So I had the Jamie. So when the anesthesiologist went to give me milk of the poppy, uh-huh. I sure. turned it down Jamie Lannister style. Yeah. And I just screamed through it all. And like there was a point where they, uh, where they pulled my testicle through the wound to like really get the veins yeah. at the back. And I was just, and I just screamed. And uh, But because I had lived a life mm-hmm. like Jamie Lannister, sure. I knew that I deserved every second of this and that this was a cleansing by fire. <laughs> this was a, this was a baptism, a testicular baptism. Well, you bring up a good point, which is, you know, sometimes things happen. Like, so we just talked about death and dementia and brain damage, but there's the opposite side where they don't give enough of the drug and people can wake up in the middle of surgery. And this is a big deal. This is like one of the most terrifying things ever. This is, this is something I legit am scared of. Anytime I go in, it's death and then this, which is funny because they're, they're usually opposite ends. One comes from giving too much of the drug. One comes from giving too little. And when you wake up in the middle, there's a couple of things that can happen. It depends what drug is going down, right? So like if they put down the drug that keeps you asleep and the one that keeps you from feeling the pain, which has happened to numerous people, you can feel everything that's going on, but you can't move a muscle because the paralytic drug is still going. So your body is completely paralyzed as a person is cutting into you and rummaging around inside and you feel every little bit of it. That has happened. We don't even know how often it happens because here's one of the things. Remember we talked about that amnesia aspect of it. There's a drug that kind of takes away your memory of it. We believe this happens, we know it happens more often than it is reported. The person goes through this horrendous, amazingly painful thing, and then they're just put back to sleep in a way that basically takes that memory away. So they, they're tortured, but then they never really know that they're tortured consciously. I actually recently heard a, a very startling story of a dude who was like a minor or something like that. And he went in for surgery and he came back out and he kept having all these PTSD flashbacks of being trapped in the mine and the mine c- collapsing in on him and all this stuff. They later found out that he was in surgery and in for like a regular surgery halfway through the anesthesiologist realized they hadn't administered all the drugs. The guy was completely paralyzed, but feeling every single bit of it and completely aware of everything around him. His like eyes were moving behind his eyelids and stuff. He was basically freaking out to death as he was being tortured. And they looked at the surgeon and they were like, oh my God, we're going to get sued. So they just pumped him with triple the amnesia drug. So he didn't remember it. And he woke up and he didn't remember it consciously, but it was, it fucked him up so badly that he had so much, so such bad PTSD that he committed 
attempted suicide within a week because it was just he couldn't get he didn't know what was going on he just had like these insane terrible fears of pain and stuff and he couldn't get over it we could use this knowledge um i think uh, like at, at the very least to write an svu script about a, a, a surgeon or perhaps a sick <laughs> podcast host who decides to get back at his enemies when he knows they're having surgery by uh, by uh, jimmying their anesthesia. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going a Kill Bill route with this. <laughs> There's a lot of ways we could take this. I even like the idea of like of like using this as a world leader. You know this, and like maybe there's like another world leader that like you can't touch. You can't actually kill him. Yeah. But like you're, we're America. Like to find out Reagan actually did this to a uh, to like Gaddafi when Gaddafi was getting heart surgery. We got some CIA agents in there, pumped them full of the drugs that paralyzed them, fucked them up a little bit, and then gave them the amnesia stuff again. Yeah, this sounds like the type of evil shit a CIA agent would do. Hell yeah. And, and you got to wonder, like, what would that feel like? And I got to say, this is actually something kind of interesting is uh, those of you guys who have listened to the show for long enough know that back in 2020, I had a medical emergency that meant that I had to go into surgery. And because of the fact that COVID was going on and it was emergency surgery, I literally had like 15 minutes after which I could potentially die from the issue that was at hand. And they couldn't get an OR ready because of all the COVID protocol. I am one of the people in the Western world in the 20th century who has had the privilege of having a open body cavity surgery performed on them with no anesthesia while fully awake, just looking down at them. And uh, let me tell you, it fucking hurts. (laughs) I've, I have gotten the privilege of experiencing a lot of pain in my life and there, there ain't nothing like that part. And, and that was, you know, them telling me it was happening and holding me down and presumably being somewhat gentle because they knew they were performing surgery on a wake person. <laughs> if you didn't know and you were just, I've seen surgeries before, man. Fucking surgeons are brutal. It's like they're trying to hurt you. They're like just they're jamming their fists and they're doing crazy stuff in there. And if you were doing that and you couldn't move and you couldn't scream and you didn't know when it was going to end and you didn't know what was happening, man, that's just, that's a fucking nightmare that makes Saw look like a walk in the park. But that's how you and I can do this. You with your bladder and me with my testicle surgery is that we're warriors. <laughs> warriors hardened uh, over the battlefield of science uh, for, for almost a decade. Uh, and by the way, when they're trying to figure out like how much anesthesia to give you, it's like super basic. When they take into account is your age, your gender, your body mass index, your medical and surgical history, any current medications you're on, your exercise capacity, how long you've been fasting. But there's also like a lot of other stuff that can affect it that they can't really take into account. Your bench press. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, exercise capacity. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, in an abstract way, if I guess if you're if you're more muscle dense yeah. in your weight versus I, flabby. I mean, there's really interesting things that come into play. Uh, you know, your individual genetics. Obviously, they're not going to be able to tell every gene you have that might interact with different types of anesthesia and stuff. I mean, we know that, for instance, there's a certain gene that's prevalent in people with red hair that means they need more anesthesia for the same given thing. So like that doesn't usually get taken into account. There are probably a thousand things we don't know about that don't get taken into account. Here's a big one that people oftentimes lie to their anesthesiologists about that you really do need to be honest with them. Like if you drink every day uh, or a lot, or if you smoke a lot of weed, if you use any kind of drug at all, you got to tell them. Like I told my guy, because at the time when I was doing it, I was like, I was in a lot of pain from the actual condition itself. And I'm like, bro, I mean, I'm not usually like this, but I, I'm 
probably smoking weed almost every day right now because I'm in a ton of pain. He's like, well, thank you for letting me know because that's going to affect how much anesthesia you need. And that's really important knowledge. And you don't want to wake up in the middle of surgery. Well, again, this is why I abstained for the milk of the poppy. <laughs> and um, and it's a story that I will take. Listen, I don't care. I'll You could bring the surgeon in here and show me the, show me the, the video of them administering. <laughs> and I will deny it. I will say I screamed loudly and, in fact, ruined several surgeries next door because the, the surgeon couldn't even concentrate. Uh, trust me, if there was a ability to ruin surgeries by screaming loudly, then in 2020, I ruined every surgery within a many mile block radius of the hospital I was in. <laughs> Certainly. Did, did nobody try doing the old fashioned, like, let's put something wood in his mouth. Let's hurt his teeth. No. Let's make this a dental emergency, too. <laughs> No, no. And also, by the way, they were like, quick, bring all the nurses in here. Uh, they're going to need somebody to hold your arms and legs. But it was like a urology place and they only had female nurses. And so I also felt that I couldn't flail as hard as I would have liked. Like I really would have liked a couple of beefy male nurses I could have really flailed against. But I, re- I also felt like, oh, if, if I flail too hard, he's going to just cut something he's not supposed to. I also like the idea of even like the janitor just cleaning sorry the shift they was just vacuuming the room. Yeah, pretty much. You want pay overtime? <laughs> Holy shit. This guy's going through a lot of pain. Researchers have developed a new device, uh, which is really, really cool. The idea is let's do continuous monitoring of an individual nonstop during the surgical procedure to give them the exact right amount they need. So we don't over, we don't give them too much, which can cause death and cause a lot of those cognitive issues and cause a lot of stuff, but we don't give them too little, which causes all the horror we just talked about with waking up in the middle of a surgery. So the new device, which has only been tested on monkeys, but it basically actively monitors the monkey's brain activity and then it would give them the anesthetic propofol in doses that were that were basically set every 20 seconds so every 20 seconds it would monitor where their you know consciousness level was and then like raise lower keep that amount the same and just non-stop do that something that an anesthesiologist can't really contend with they couldn't really do that the entire time especially when you're talking about the fact that again we're dealing with multiple drugs we talked about you know sometimes three to five different drugs that are being used to to create this total kaleidoscope effect and so this computer can do this non-stop constantly updating itself and the do- doses could fluctuate to uh, to get just the exact right amount of the drug to stay sedated for the time of the surgery. And so the idea is if you could develop this and, and perfect it and get it really, really good, then not only could you eliminate a lot of those deaths that come from over- overdoing it and a lot of the damage in IQs and in dementia and in forgetting math for two days afterwards, but you could also eliminate you know people waking up in the middle of surgery and everybody would get the exact right dose. Hello, Milos. Yes, yes, it's me. I'm working late. Yes, guess what's happening? They operating on men's bladder here. Yes, his dick is out. Piss is everywhere. I'll be working late. Everywhere. I'll take pictures for you, Milos. Everywhere. <laughs> it was piss and blood everywhere in that room, which, by the way, not an operating room, because, again, it was an emergency. So this is like a doctor's office that I got operated in. I call you back with FaceTime. You can see that his dick is out. Yeah, they're just cutting him open. Oh, shit. He's flailing. There's more piss. Here, I'll, let's, I'll, I'll show his face in video. Hold on. 
Uh, We're sorry that the, the, the labor negotiations, the contract is solid. Uh, we, we, we're, I'm not technically allowed to tell one of these janitors what they can and can't do. I could report it to the supervisor. I'm very sorry, Mr. Timothy. I think we're going to look back in not too long on this period that we have all lived through, this period of, of surgical anesthesia as kind of like using dynamite as a lockpick, you know, because we've been either, you know, blowing it way out of the park or doing a little bit too little. Like, it's just not the right tool or not the right administration of that tool or something. And now uh, we are starting to narrow that in. And if you mix in the possibility of AI being able to constantly monitor, fuck every 20 seconds, you know, every half a second is constantly monitoring you, making sure you're getting the exact right dosage and then weaning you off as the surgery is coming to an end because it knows the surgeon is finishing up. And then I, I just imagine the process of general anesthesia being much safer, much less damaging to your body and to your brain and to your mind. And you does less long-term what the fuck happened to me? I can't think straight for many days type thing. I just, I think the future of anesthesia is bright and I'm very excited about that because it's one of those things that uh, kind of terrify me right now. Hold on, let's do live stream. <laughs> all right, thank you audience for coming back for Science Faction 684 where you learned all about an ancient American DNA study that asks as many questions as it answers and how we may have just developed the knockout device we desperately need. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 685. Bobby, I'd like to pass along some wisdom of the ancients. I'm actually going to uh, tell you what my uh, grandfather would tell me all the time. He would put his hand on my shoulder and he would say, Damien, you're adopted. You've been listening to Science Faction. Wait, that's not right. 